Um, I want to start off this morning by taking a look at, at our scripture first of all, and then after we find, after we read the scripture and go over the scripture together, I want to give you guys a little bit of context behind it so we can get a better appreciation of the scene that we're looking at here. Um, before we read the scripture, I want to ask you guys to do something that I asked you to do either last week or the week before. I told you <clears throat> very often when, when we'll read from scripture, particularly if it's a narrative, if, it, if it's a story, I ask you guys to really place yourself in the midst of that story. Um, imagine yourself being there. Whatever's going on, imagine the smells that are around you. Imagine the people that are around you. Imagine the feelings and the emotions that you might be going through if you were, were a person who was part of this narrative, who's part of this story. Because what we run into here and what we're going to really explore is the exhaustion that the apostles are experiencing. That's a big part of understanding and appreciating what we read about Jesus in these scriptures. I'm not going to tell you a whole lot about it. I'm not going to set up the scene a whole lot, but I, do, I will tell you this. What's happening here is the apostles, the 12 apostles, 12 disciples have just returned from a, from a long missionary journey. They've been out preaching. They've been out visiting villages and going literally from town to town with probably little, little, little to uh, very, very little sleep. The Bible actually tells us that they were very famished. They had, they had gone um, without eating. Um, so they're exhausted. They're tired. They're, 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 their bodies are tired. I'm sure they're emotionally tired. Um, so kind of place yourself there in that scene. Place yourself maybe as one of those apostles as we read just these few verses out of the Gospel of Mark, chapter 6. And we're just going to be reading 30 through 34. You can read it, follow along your Bible, or, or of course up here on the screen. So starting in verse 30. The apostles gathered around Jesus, and they reported to him all that they had done and taught. And then because so many people were coming and going that they didn't even have a chance to eat, he said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them, and they ran on foot from all the towns, and they got there ahead of them. And when Jesus landed... He saw a large crowd. He had compassion on them because they were sheep. They were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. And again, that's the word of God for the people of God. So again, just to, just to give you a little bit of context of what's going on here, if you were to go backwards a little bit from these scriptures, uh, kind of towards the beginning of Mark chapter 6, I think it's verses 6 through 12, um, Jesus is sending out these, the 12 disciples on, again, a missionary journey. They're going from town to town. If you'll read those scriptures, you'll find that he gives them some very specific instructions about what to do and what not to do as they visit these towns. They're, again, they're going there. They're preaching. They are literally casting out demons. They are anointing the sick, and they are healing the sick. They are, they are indeed performing miracles. Well, lodged between, for some reason or another, when Jesus sends, these, sends the 12 disciples off on this missionary journey, and lodged between that story and our story today, you guys probably remember this, is the uh, kind of gruesome tale of the beheading of John the Baptist. Why Mark decided to put that right there in the midst of these two things, I don't know, but that's how the Gospel of Mark reads. But after we get past the beheading of John the Baptist, we pick up back in where our scriptures are today. And these guys, the, the, the disciples are returning. They're returning from this long journey they've been on again. 
And I really can't overemphasize the exhaustion, the sheer exhaustion that they were experiencing at this point. Their bodies were tired. They're, they were, they're, I'm sure they were, they were worn out mentally and spiritually as well. So what does Jesus do? He recognizes that. You know, he recognizes that they've been, that they're exhausted. He recognizes that they're tired. He recognizes they're worn out. And our scriptures tell us that he invites them to go with him. Come go with me to a quiet place, to a solitary place. Let's get some, let's get some rest together. Let's, uh, let's, re let's recuperate. Let's re-energize ourselves. And so they load up on this boat. They get together in a boat. and they don't, It doesn't exactly tell us specifically where they're going, but we know that they're going to a solitary place just to be together, to rest, and to relax, and again, to recuperate from what was undoubtedly an exhausting, exhausting journey and, uh, and missionary trips. But what happens next? As they load up on this boat, they get prepared to go chill out with Jesus for a while. We read that the crowd sees them. We read that a large crowd sees them loading up on this boat. So what happens, and this is a lake, by the way. What happens is this crowd sees Christ and the disciples loading up on this boat. They, they, they want some of what he's got, too. Okay? They've heard the stories. They've seen what Jesus is. They've seen who he is and what he can do. And, and they, 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 want, they, they have needs that they want addressed. So when they see Christ and the disciples lighting up the boat, they run. Literally, that's what the scripture tells us. They run all the way to the other side of the lake. And they meet Christ. They meet the boat there. And they land there. So when Christ, when Christ and the disciples get there in the boat, this big crowd's already there waiting for them. Place yourself in that narrative. Place yourself as one of the disciples in that narrative. What would your reaction be? What would, what would your mind, what, what would you be thinking? Don't, don't answer out loud. Just think of that in the, in your, while you sit in the pews. Uh, where would your mind go to? Would you be glad? Would that make you happy? Oh, great, more people. Probably not. Probably not. Let's be honest. We, prob we probably would not have been very thrilled to see all these people gathering around us. They were probably, maybe, maybe, I don't know, the Bible doesn't say this, but I, I would imagine some of them were probably a little bit mad. Maybe they were a little bit put off. Maybe they were a little bit apprehensive about all the neediness that was around them. Maybe they were rolling their eyes. Consider that, and again, Scripture doesn't tell us that. But I would imagine that's probably the case with a lot of with a lot of them anyway. What is our gut reaction? What is our gut reaction when we are exhausted, we're tired, we're worn out? What is our gut reaction when our lives are interrupted by the neediness of others? How do we react when our lives are interrupt, interrupted by the neediness of other people created in the image of Christ? Well, Jesus reacts to the crowd a lot differently, doesn't he? He reacts to it through the crowd in a way that shows him the love of God. He reveals to him what the kingdom of God looks like in the way that he responds. He models the way of God for the disciples. He models the way of God through those who were in the crowd. He models the way and the heart of God for us today. And the Bible gives us this beautiful word. The Bible gives us this beautiful, beautiful word right there in the scriptures that shows us the heart of Jesus. It shows us and it points us in the direction in which we are called to serve others. The scripture states this, and we'll read it one more time. When Jesus landed and he saw the large crowd, he had 
compassion on them. He had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Compassion, as you guys have probably figured out by now, is, is, is kind of what we're getting at today. It's going to be the theme for the day. Compassion, again, is a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful word. But it's not something that we talk about a whole lot. You don't, for whatever reason, I don't know if this is intentional or not, but you don't hear a lot of sermons, and you don't see a lot of Sunday school. They happen. I'm not saying they don't happen. But they're few and far between on the subject of Christian compassion. We hear a lot of sermons on love. We see a lot of hear, have a lot of teachings on love, the theme of love. I've taught about it already. I've preached on it already. We hear a lot of sermons and teachings about mercy. We hear a lot of sermons and teachings about kindness, for example. But in my experience, I've not sat through a lot of sermons or a lot of Sunday school teachings or whatever where the primary focus was Christian compassion. Because there's a big difference, I think. There's a big difference, I know, between mercy, kindness, love, and compassion. And that's what I want to talk about today because I think it's just that important. I don't think our scriptures would have pointed this out that Christ had compassion on them if there wasn't something of great importance for us to look at. Compassion stands, I think it's tragic. I think it's tragic and I think it's sad that we don't talk about this, we don't explore this theme more. Because at the end of the day, compassion stands at the very heart of who Jesus is. And if it stands at the very heart of who Jesus is, it also stands at the very heart of who God is. It also stands at the very heart of the character of God. I want to give you guys first, before we, before we talk about and explore what real compassion is, I want you to understand this idea is not throughout the Bible. It's not a rarity in the Bible. You find the idea of compassion and the theme of compassion and the compassion of God throughout Holy Scripture from Genesis all the way to Revelation, which again is, is reason enough for me to question why don't we talk about this a little bit more often in our churches? Because it's there. It's not, the Bible is not short on this word. Let me give you a free, a, just a few verses that I randomly picked out that specifically mention the idea of compassion. Isaiah 54.10, Though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, Yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace removed, says the Lord, who has compassion on you. Psalm 148, 145, 8 through 9. The Lord is a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all that he has made. I think more important maybe is that word all, not some, but all. He has compassion on on all that he has made. 2 Corinthians 1.3 Praise be to the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion. He's the Father of compassion. He, he started the whole thing. Ephesians 4.32 We get this from Paul. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ forgave you. Finally, Zechariah. I'm going to give you a real random one. This is what the Lord Almighty said. Administer true justice, show mercy and compassion to one another. Again, this isn't a, a sporadic or a random theme. You find this idea throughout Holy Scripture. One of the most, or two of the most uh, prominent um, teachings on Christian compassion from Jesus are, are two stories or two narratives that all of you are very familiar with. And that's the story of the, uh, the Good Samaritan. And um, what's the other one? What's the other one? 
the prodigal son. Prodigal son is an awesome, awesome story on the theme of compassion. We're not going to talk about those days today because it would take me entirely too long. But again, for us to fully grasp the vastness, and that's what I want us to get this morning. I want us to really grasp the vastness of what God, godly, let's think of it in those terms, not just God's compassion, but our call to godly compassion. I want, to understand, I want us to understand how big this is, how huge this is, how different this is. To grasp the vastness of what godly compassion is. In order to do that, we're going to have to have a, sudden, a solid understanding of what godly compassion is from a scriptural view. I'm going to give this to you from a scriptural view. We're going to understand when we leave today what godly compassion is. And as such, what Christian compassion is strictly from a scriptural view. <clears throat> if you remember right, the, the Bible, oh, the Old Testament is, was, was originally written in Hebrew, uh, the New Testament in Greek and Aramaic. But regardless, Hebrew and Greek, the same word in the Hebrew language and in the Greek language for compassion basically means this. It means that compassion is a gut feeling for the needs of others. Both the original Hebrew and the original Greek have the same meaning for the word compassion. It is a gut feeling for the needs of other people. It's not just having empathy for people, although that is certainly included. It's not just having sympathy or feeling sorry for somebody. Of course, that's included. Real compassion, real compassion, the kind of compassion God has for us and the kind of compassion we're called to live out begins here. And it may start with sympathy. It may start with empathy. We may recognize the needs of other people. We may be, may be able to relate with the needs of other people. We may sympathize with the needs of other people. But then it does something else. It prompts us to do something about it. Real compassion prompts us to do something about it. It produces in us a desire to relieve people of their suffering. To take action. Maybe that, maybe that suffering is spiritual. Maybe that suffering is physical. Maybe that suffering is emotional. Whatever it is, that gut feeling that we have, compassion motivates us to act. It motivates us to help that person or those people to relieve whatever suffering he, she, or they are experiencing. Look at how Christ had compassion for this crowd. Look how that compassion prompted him to do something about it. And look in what ways he did do something about it. First thing that we read is he had compassion on the crowd, for they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began to teach them many, many things. I added the many. He began to teach them many things. First way that Christ reacts, first way that the compassion of Christ prompts him to react to this crowd, to do something to, about it, to relieve them of their suffering, is he addresses their spiritual problems. He began teaching them many things. How do I respond? Does Christ respond? He responds compassionately by addressing their spiritual issues. Interestingly, immediately following today's scripture, if you want to read a little bit further, we read the story of Christ feeding the 5,000. That's who this large crowd is, by the way. And most of us who are probably familiar with the story of Jesus feeding the crowd of 5,000 people with a few loaves of bread and, and a couple of fish. What you'll also read in that story is the disciples didn't want him to do that. Remember how tired they are? Remember how exhausted they are? 
They're probably hungry themselves. Scripture tells, our today's scripture tells us they were starving. They were hungry. They didn't want to help these folks out. They actually came to Jesus. They said, "Hey, you know, Jesus, all these folks are hungry. Can you just can we just send them away so they can go find them something to eat?" Jesus says, "No." And Jesus performs one of the one of the most memorable miracles that we recall in the Gospels. He feeds five thousand people to the point where they're all full and they're all satisfied. How does the compassion of Christ prompt him to respond to that crowd? He also addresses and relieves their suffering of their physical needs. He addresses their spiritual needs and then he addresses their physical needs. Right here at Bemis. Right here at Bemis United Methodist Church last week. Tony Mallory, I know you felt it. We had a wonderful expression of Christian compassion here. If you were here, you'll remember and you know exactly what I'm talking about, the couple that came down forward. Two things happened last Sunday. Number one, a lot of us were moved. Number one, we addressed their spiritual needs. I prayed with them. And I watched many of you speak with these folks as they were exiting, as they were leaving. You wouldn't let them leave, as a matter of fact. You talked to them. You were kind. You were generous. You were merciful and you're very loving with them and to them. Second thing that we did is there was a few people in our church who also addressed their physical needs. I think that's something to take note of. And I don't say that necessarily to brag, but nothing on me or I'm not even necessarily bragging on, on you guys necessarily. I'm just pointing it out. That's how Christian compassion looks. That's how Christian compassion works. And I will brag on you. That was pretty that was pretty touching for all for all, for all of you. It was, a, it was a good moment to be in the church. So make no mistake about it. Just as compassion characterizes the nature of God, so it should characterize the life of all of us. We should be known for our compassionate natures. We should be known for our compassionate natures. That should be something that characterizes each and every individual in this sanctuary today. Churches should be known for their compassionate natures. Compassion should be instinctive to us. It should be like second nature to us. Sadly, oftentimes it's not. One of the biggest criticisms of Christianity today, particularly among younger people, is our lack of compassion, or at least our seeming lack of compassion, particularly towards those who need it the most. Remember, two weeks in a row, I think we talked about Matthew 25 and certain people that Christ mentioned as he talked about the judgment, and he also said, just as you have done to these particular people, you've also done or you've not done to me. Y'all remember that? He talked about the naked, the hungry, the thirsty, the stranger, the sick, the imprisoned. In a very sad way, the way that we treat, or at least the way that we are perceived to treat oftentimes, the most needy among us is not much different from the rest of the world. This shouldn't be. Now, whether that's a reality is, is up, a reality or not is up for discussion. But at least the perception is out there. And that's, again, is one of the biggest criticisms of Christianity today, particularly among young folks. I think that the reason, I'm, I'm going to give you a couple reasons, but I think one of the reasons that some of us are guilty of this is a very common lie that we tell ourselves. It's a very common lie or a very common trap that we fall into. It's the mindset that tells us that if we love people, if we have compassion on people, if we utilize our time and our resources to help people, it means that we condone the bad behavior or it means that we condone the bad lifestyle choices 
that are oftentimes associated with people in certain circumstances. Let me repeat that. There is a lie that we tell ourselves. There's a trap that we fall into that says, hey, if I show this person compassion, if I give my time, if I give my monetary resources or whatever resources, whatever, whatever, to help this person out through their suffering, it means that I condone whatever their bad behavior is or whatever their, their lifestyle choices are, whatever their sin is. Nothing could be farther from the truth. Nothing could be farther from the truth, and we've got to stop telling ourselves this. We've got to stop telling ourselves this, and we have to stop basing the way that we treat and help or do not help or, do not, or, share, or share compassion or do not share compassion based on this lie, based on this trap that we fell into. Jesus did not model this for us. Jesus did not model this for us. This is strictly a human way of thinking. Jesus had no problem calling out sin. Absolutely no problem. Jesus had no problem calling out sin. He condemned sin and he called it what it was. At the same time, he was compassionate with sinners. He was compassionate with people. He knew their suffering, spiritual and otherwise, and he responded with what? Compassion. Do we really think that we really think that all 5,000 people in that crowd that we read about today had all their stuff together? Do we really believe that 5,000 people in that crowd were not doing some bad things? That all 5,000 people were in that crowd were standing upright before God? Come on. Absolutely not. How did Christ react? Did he separate them out? All right, you guys are okay. Y'all, I'm going to feed you guys, but you guys, ooh, we're not so sure. Y'all go over there, you get nothing. No, he fed them all. He fed them all. He had compassion on them all, and he addressed their spiritual and their physical needs. Think of other people that Christ interacted with throughout the Gospels. Think of Matthew. <laughs> Matthew, Matthew before, before Matthew was Matthew, Matthew was one of the most hated people out there. Think about Zacchaeus. Think about all of these so, so many people that Christ interacted with who did not have their stuff together, who were not making good lifestyle choices, who were not behaving in a manner that was Christ-like or in line with godliness or righteousness. Person after person after person after person. Jesus called sin, sin. He called it what it was. And he loved and showed compassion to people in what every area of their lives they were needing it. Jesus was criticized. Y'all remember this. You've all read your Bibles. Jesus was criticized by the other religious folks for the people that he hung around. He didn't endorse some of the stuff that they were doing, but he didn't mind showing them some compassion. And doing some things for them. Because you know what happens? Maybe if we show somebody a little bit of compassion, maybe that opens a door for Christ to come in. Maybe they're not living right. Maybe they are making bad choices. But I'm going to tell you, tell you how we don't get people. How, how Christ doesn't. How we don't get people. And how Christ didn't get people. He didn't get to people through harsh, harsh judgment. He didn't get to people through being nasty and ugly. And denying them the love of God. Again, he never condoned sin, but he embraced sinners. He invited them into a life with them, and he showed them a better way. That's how life, that's how people lives are changed. He molded them and he shaped them. When I was saved, I didn't have all my stuff together, but God did some work on me. It doesn't just happen like that. Okay? And I thank God and I praise God for godly people, for Christ like people who were in my life, who never gave up on me. 
who showed me the love of Christ, who showed me the compassion of Christ, to the point where I was submissive and finally got down on my knees and accepted Christ. And then he started working on me more and more, more and more. I wasn't a saint overnight. I'm not a saint today. But that's how it works. It requires us, compassion requires us to respond instinctively to the suffering and needs of others. And here's one more trap that we fall into. Here's one more trap that we fall into when we talk about exercising compassion with people. We don't stop the question whether or not people are deserving of our help. That's a big one. We don't stop the question whether or not a person is deserving of our help. Because that's what grace looks like. That's what grace looks like. It's the same grace that Christ extended to me when I didn't deserve it, when I wasn't doing all the right things, and it's the same grace that God extended to you guys, and it's the same grace that Christ extends to us day after day after day after day every time we mess something up. I'm not a Christian because I'm a deserve it. I'm a Christian because Christ did something for me. Same goes with the way that we react and the way that we respond to other people. We're going to be rejected, folks. When we act with godly compassion, we're going to be rejected by people, and guess what? We're going to be taken advantage of. That's what, we don't, that's what we really don't like. But it happens, and it's going to happen. We don't stop. We don't stop just because we get taken advantage of. We're going to be lied to. Of course we're going to be lied to. But we don't stop showing compassion just because somebody lies to us or somebody gets the best of us. Christ calls us the godly compassion without counting the cost. We cannot harden our hearts to people just because they might get the best of us. We can't harden our hearts to people just because they might get the best of us. Several years ago, not long, two, two three years ago, <clears throat> one of my churches, we were, um, we were doing a backpack somewhat similar to what we were doing here, but we had... We had some pretty, pretty large ambitions for it. We actually wanted to collect about 200 backpacks for a small community, and we wanted to stuff them with school supplies. And we were going to, we were going to have a large back-to-school event, I think, and, and we did. We wound up having, like, you know, water slides and games for the kids to play and, 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 and those types of things, food. Um, but one of the big things that we were doing is we wanted to collect about 200 backpacks, backpacks stuffed with school supplies. And one of our ideas, that we were, one of the ways we were planning on doing this or hoping to be able to do this is, hey, let's call some other churches. Let's get them to be involved and, and see, let's, you know, if we can get a few other churches, that means we only got, got to get 25 backpacks. And some of these guys can, you know, pick up, pick up this and it'll be easy on all of us and all of us get together and get to show the love of Christ to everybody and it'll be a wonderful time. So I started making some phone calls. <clears throat> and I contacted somebody at one church. And I told him what we were doing. I said, you know, our big, our big thing is we want to get these backpacks together to give to these kids and, um, you know, just really be out there for the community. And here's a response that I got. Here's a response that I got. He says, he says, yeah, you know, that's a great idea and all, but we don't really do that because some people might take advantage of us. Some people might not, you know, they may not really need it. Y'all think that's Christ-like? Y'all think that's Christ-like response? Answer me this time. Y'all think that's a Christ-like response? Absolutely not. So you're telling me that we're going to not help out 175 people because 25 of those may not actually need it. 
that's not godly to me. That's not a godly response. And those of you who said no, you're absolutely, absolutely correct. We've got to get out of that mindset. And many of us, many of us have that. Just because somebody's going to get the best of us doesn't mean that we stop. They're going to get the best of us. They're going to get one over. It's going to happen. So how do we do this? How do we... And what we're talking about is not easy. Don't get me wrong. I know what we're talking about is not easy. But what do we do? How do we embrace with this? How do we live this out? How do we live out this Christian call towards compassion in our individual lives, in our church lives, in our, in our community? Four things. First of all, if you're not doing it, if you're not already doing this, you're going to hear me talk about this a lot. I want to introduce you guys. I want you to introduce yourselves into the discipline of self-examination. The discipline of self-examination. There's, there's a lot of scriptural references that I could give that I could give to you, but I'm not going to do that this morning. Are we examining ourselves frequently? Are we examining our motives? Are we examining our hearts? Are we are we trying to understand why we do the things that we do? Why we don't do the things we do? Do we know where our hearts are? This is a very important Christian practice. It's a very important spiritual practice. Preferably. Do it about once a day. The best time of day, of day to do it is, is, is at night. That's when I generally engage in it. Review my day. Where did I show the love of God? Where did I not show the love of God? Where did I fail? Where did I do well? And start examining yourself. Start examining again your motives. Your motives, your motives are a big thing. Once you figure that out, and once we figure out, you know, where our shortcomings are, and let's call it what it is, where our sins are, we do what we've been told to do ever since we were this high, since sitting in church pews. We practice the discipline of repentance. We repent. That word has such a nasty, nasty undertone for some reason. And, 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 and I used to understand it because I've seen some preachers, you know, preach hellfire and brimstone and, and, and talk about repentance like it's a, oh God, it's just hard, this horrible thing. Repentance is a beautiful thing. Repentance means that my, li my life, my will, my, number one, I recognize where I'm messing up. Number one, I recognize where I'm wrong. Number two, it means that I recognize it to God. I confess it to God. And to repent literally means that I'm turning away from that. And I am aligning my will with the will of God. And when I do that, I start embracing and I start inhabiting the love of God. And I start living that out in my life. My life, my mind, my heart is being aligned with the will of God. That's what repentance is. It literally means to turn around. It literally means to do a 180, to change directions from where I was. Self-examination, simple things, confession, repentance. Thirdly, we seek this through prayer. And I know these, this is Christianity 101, folks. Christianity 101. This kind of compassion does not come naturally to most of us. As a matter of fact, the only person that I've ever known thus far in my life, where this compassion, this, this kind of compassion has come, um, has been so obvious, was my mom. I haven't seen it outside of her. It doesn't come naturally to most of us. But God wants this for us. Ha ha. Here's the thing. God wants to give us this gift. Why? Because it's his will. Because it's his will. If it's, if it's the will of God... For us to have these types of hearts. Why would he not want to give us that? He does. So we seek it. And we ask him for it. And if it doesn't happen overnight. We keep on asking. And we keep asking. And we keep asking. 
This is something that God wants us to have. He wants us to have these kind of hearts. Seek him in prayer. He knows that we're not naturally inclined to this type of compassion for people. He knows that. Ask him. And lastly, we start looking for opportunities. We start looking for opportunities. Two of the things that, two of the main um, ministries that John Wesley did were prison ministries and ministry to the poor. Go out and do it. Look for opportunities to exercise this kind of compassion. They're all around us. They are all around us. They're in our, they're, they're in, they happen in our lives, these interruptions that happen in our lives every day. But opportunities are all around us. By the way, if you ever talk to me about something, you're, you are, you're apt to be brought up into a sermon, so I hope that doesn't um, you know, rub anybody the wrong way. But I got a good chance to talk to Miss Georgia last week, and I know that Georgia has a heart for people who are suffering from addiction and mental health disorders. I know she has a heart for that, and I know that her Christian faith goes into why she does the things that she does. And simply in talking to her, I can tell that she has a great great, great compassion in that particular area. Last week at the uh, onboarding, somebody asked me, I don't know who it was, uh, but somebody asked me if I do prison ministry. I actually had forgotten. I don't, I don't do prison ministry directly, but I am involved in, in, in a prison advocacy group. Um, but regardless, I don't, I don't do any um, in person, but I'd be interested in doing that. And evidently somebody else in our church has got some kind of interest in it as well because they asked me that question. In a couple weeks, I'm going to start doing some recovery meetings at LAMP. If you guys are familiar with that, that's our local homeless shelter. Opportunities are absolutely everywhere for us to spread the compassion and the love of Christ in Valdosta and in Lowndes County. Everywhere. Let's be that kind of church. Let's be the kind of church that cultivates that kind of culture. Let us, let's be a culture of compassion. All churches have cultures, by the way. Some of them change from time to time, but there's all churches, all environments have cultures. It's these things that we do. It's these things that we embody. Ultimately, it's the things that we look like. Is our church a culture of compassion? If not, let's espouse to do that. Because it starts with all of y'all. It starts with everybody here. It starts with the individual, and it goes outward. Starts with the individual and it grows outward. That's how we build. That's how we build cultures. Again, we don't do it through harsh condemnation. We don't do it through fear mongering, but we do it through love and through compassion, just as Christ modeled for us. That's what we're called to be. That's what we're called to do. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you, God, for the ability to worship in your name. Thank you, God, for the model of Christ. And we realize that we fail miserably, miserably, miserably in mirroring him in our hearts and in our minds. God, I myself confess my sin to you this morning. I confess my lack of compassion as I go throughout my daily routine, oftentimes. I pray for forgiveness. And I ask God that you would turn my heart towards the spiritual, physical, and emotional needs of other people. Help me to be more aware. And help me to respond as Christ would. And I would pray the same for my church, God, that this would be the same thing that we all seek. That the kingdom of God might be known, that you might be glorified, that people may come into a relationship with you. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.